0: And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello. Hi. Coming up on today's show, we have not one, but two bachelorettes, and the country is a little bit divided over it. Plus, the controversy around the hashtag Women Supporting Women Challenge on Instagram, and then the Carly Closs and Taylor Swift dating rumour that just won't go away. But first, Zara Ellis with an E, fine-footed, raging hottie McDonald, how was your Week.
1: That is me. My week was not (laughs) too bad. It wasn't too bad at all. A little
0: bit brighter and lighter than last week when we came on Mike, pretty grim. Cheers to Melbourne weather. Like it really turned it on for us. It heard how depressed we were in last week's episode and it thought, you know what, guys, I'm going to give you some sun. I'm going to give you some blue sky and some vitamin D. And it made me feel a lot better. I know it's such a simple thing, isn't it? Just having the sun
1: shining and the impact it has on your mood. But I think that's had a huge impact on mine this week. So, two has been consuming some really great great podcast. I still can't stop consuming podcasts left, right and centre. And I'm not usually like this during the working week or in normal kind of weeks. So what I want to recommend this week, the first one is I think the best podcast I've listened to in months. Wow. I know. It is on The Daily. For those who listen to The Daily and subscribe to The Daily. You are such a
0: Daily groupie. I know. You fucking love – you, like, are obsessed with The Daily. It's a little bit concerning. Well, I (laughs) – I actually am. And tidbit for Daily fans,
1: did you – you know Michael (laughs) Belbaro? Yes, your one true love, yeah. You know that he left his husband for the producer
0: of that podcast? Who is a woman. Who is a woman. That's my favourite romantic – I mean, yeah, who knows? Not many comments to make about it. But what, like, a little bit of drama? You were going to say my favourite romantic story, which is a little (laughs) controversial. (laughs) controversial. Kind of upsetting for the ex-husband. 100%. Anyway,
1: that's a juicy tidbit about The Daily. Back to my original point, for those who listen to The Daily, you will know that they've started dropping episodes in their feed called The Sunday Read, which is basically like
0: one of their stories from the New York Times website read out over the course of a podcast episode. I absolutely love this idea. The idea of having someone read out a long-form piece that I know in my heart of hearts I would never actually dedicate my time and energy towards reading I will listen to it though. Clearly the people at The Daily are making this for someone like me. Well, it feels like a little short story in an audiobook form. That's Mm. what it feels like. So the episode that
1: I listened to this week was called The Accusation and I don't even know if I want to tell anyone what it's about because I don't want to spoil <laughs> a detail. I just want to tell you to listen to it. It's basically the writer Sarah writes about her wife being accused of sexual harassment in academia. Wow. That's all I'll tell you. It goes for about 45, 50 minutes and I was driving to the supermarket the other day and pulled up and had like five minutes to go and was one of those things where you just had to sit in your car to hear the end of it. I really need to listen. It's so good and I know I'm hyping it and then I get really nervous for hyping something but I loved it so much. The other thing I really loved mish was michelle obama's podcast
0: launched this week and her first interview was with barack spotify is absolutely killing it they're getting some massive names kim kardashian is going to be doing her own exclusive podcast with spotify as well they are just like hitting it out of the park what was the structure of this was it michelle obama interviewing barack correct yeah wow. yeah so that was a really lo- i just
1: could i would consume anything those two did and especially anything they do together i love the kind of behind the scenes photos of them recording it at mm. home just with my and a few soft things around them to
0: kind of make the sound a bit better. Give me one topic they cover that will get me in.
1: No, listen
0: to it. You, If you like them, you'll listen to it. If you don't, you don't. I really love their voices, actually. I'm just you hearing their voices in my head. They're so soothing and reassuring. They're like a warm hug. They are like a warm hug. And I think
1: <laughs> when it comes to Michelle and Barack Obama, they're never going to spill like the juiciest secrets on a podcast. Like mm. it's still going to be very sanitized. But I think there's real comfort. I don't know. A lot of people find comfort in them and I do too. How was your week? What are you recommending? My week,
0: My week was the same as yours. There's really nothing to report. Like, guys, we're down in Melbourne and it's not the best time. As I said, weather's good. Went on a few walks this week. <laughs> what else is there to report? Like, my dog's pretty good. Well, it's a funny way of living because all the days kind of merge into one. Like, I have no idea how to separate any of them from each other. I'm literally spending every single day in a matching tracksuit covered in a doona or like an UDI or something. Agreed. I do want to recommend something. Now, I will preface this recommendation by saying it is the most basic bitch recommendation I've potentially ever given on this podcast. However, Hold on. I'm giving it because I brought this up to you this week and you had absolutely no fucking idea what I was talking about. So what does this mean for me if you're about to recommend the most basic bitch thing you've ever recommended and I don't know what it is? Well, maybe it's a good thing for you. Maybe it means you're niche now and you're like alternative and cool. Oh, that's, You're none of those That things. is definitely what it means. What's your recommendation? My recommendation is to follow the Inspired Unemployed on Instagram or on on TikTok. I am stunned that you have no idea who the Inspired Unemployed is well after you told me who they were I
1: looked them up and I've never heard of them
0: how I still haven't watched one of their well they just don't come up in my algorithm these boys I think they're from country they're somewhere in the country I think they're based in Sydney oh they're Australian they're Australian guys they're on like every television commercial under the sun they're basically a comedy duo who do really funny skits and they're really fucking good at dancing and I have like a platonic crush on both of them. They're the kind of guys that I'd want to be best friends what the with. Fuck is a platonic crush. The kind of crush you have when you're in a happy, committed
1: relationship. <laughs> and, hold on. So this is actually really you saying you'd like a hall pass, but you don't want to end up in the same kind of drama that I found myself in. <laughs> so you've got a platonic crush.
0: Imagine well, if you got me a like birthday message shout out from the inspired unemployed. Well, I'd do it, but no one might know who they are. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, these guys are so funny. Mitch and I actually go and check their feeds every single day to see if they've uploaded a new video. Some videos are very, very strange and odd. Other videos are brilliant. They're wacky and weird and wonderful. And I think you should go follow them if you do not already. All right. What's on the hotline today? Today's hotline message is from the wonderful slash a little bit aggrieved Jade. I love you guys, but I just saw your meme about Grey's Anatomy and not watching it. And I just wanted to say I'm absolutely baffled by that. And I would love to know if, either of you have actually sat through and watched a few of the seasons because Grey's Anatomy is absolutely life and the only thing getting me through isolation at the moment. If you did watch it and didn't enjoy it, I just feel like I don't know you anymore and it's just heartbreaking. <laughs> well,
1: well, I have a bone to pick with you because I saw that meme which you posted saying something like unpopular opinion the Grey's Anatomy is the shittest show of all
0: time yep stand by it you said we think yeah well I speak for both of us often on Instagram
1: yes and often not truthfully because I saw that (laughs) and I was like hang on I fucking love Grey's Anatomy Grey's Anatomy is the best do you actually though well I don't watch it a lot anymore but when I used to catch the odd episode when I was young I loved it the episode where there's a
0: shooting in the hospital is one of the most gripping pieces of television I have ever Seen. I agree with that and don't get me wrong, I've watched multiple seasons of Grey's Anatomy but it became ridiculous like every show that seems to be set in a hospital and By the end of it, basically everyone dies or everyone has sex with each other. Everyone does die, basically. Like you look across the seasons, how many people in one hospital can die in the space of a decade? I will say this meme, which for if you missed it, the actual tweet was, I don't give a fuck how boring my life gets. I'm not watching Grey's Anatomy. One of the more controversial things we've ever posted on our account, it got a thousand comments of people just like angrily shaking their fist at us through their screen. Yeah, well, if our downloads start dropping over the next few (laughs) weeks, we know why. It's because everybody commented saying, boycott Shameless, we're cancelled. I stand by it. Please come and DM me or even DM our Instagram account or comment on that post actually. Tell us, what shows do you think are overrated? Grey's Anatomy is absolutely top of my list. I think you're wrong and I hate that I was looped in with a group of people that hate Grey's Anatomy but speaking of memes Michelle. Speaking of memes we need to cover the shameless meme war of 2020. Last week for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode yet I challenged Zara to the second inaugural shameless meme war on our Instagram account where basically it's just a battle. We post one meme a day each for five days in a row and one person comes out victorious. Yes, it usually is that straightforward until Michelle
1: starts making TikToks <laughs> and other random videos that aren't actually under the classification of a meme, which means congratulations for all the hard work you put in and congratulations for the likes that you were I came given. out on top. I won. Yes, you, d- you technically did come out on top, but also you were technically
0: disqualified because two of the things that you submitted weren't memes. This is actually bullshit, right? So many people came to me and said, you've bent the rules. You're not posting memes. I don't know what the fuck you think a meme is, but the definition, the dictionary definition of a meme is an element of a culture or system of behavior passed from one individual to another by imitation or other non-genetic means. It is just something that is recreated across time. I used pop culture references. One of the videos I created was that very popular argument between the Kardashians. Another one was about Taylor Swift folklore, both meme material. Just because they're a video doesn't mean they're not a meme. No, see what you're doing is
1: kind of relying on a really general dictionary definition of a meme, which is just not up to date with how young people define memes. Had I known that I was allowed to create videos,
0: I would have hired a videographer three weeks ago. (laughs) You found out on Tuesday you could create videos because that's when I posted my most, by the way, my video on Taylor Swift most liked thing we have ever posted on Instagram.
1: I've got shit to do. I don't have two hours on a Thursday (laughs) evening to make fucking TikTok. I've got stuff to watch and things to listen to. Anyway, you did win, but I also won because you were disqualified. So I will take the crown, but you can take, you know, the
0: smug faux victory. How is it walking through the world with such a one dimensional view of everything?
1: Me? <laughs> Actually, mine's less one dimensional than yours because I have a more specific
0: modern take. <laughs> I have a more specific modern take on what a meme is. You have been pushing back on us getting onto TikTok for about. Six months now. I don't think you're like the most futuristic with your meme tastes.
1: That's because I'm not getting on TikTok and doing dances in order to push our brand. I don't care if we're not famous on TikTok. I'm not dancing on that thing. (laughs) Anyway, let's
0: get into the show because obviously, Michelle, we are starting with The Bachelorette. We are starting with The Bachelorette because guys, in case you missed the memo, former Bachelor Australia contestant Ellie Miles, she was of course on Matt Agnew season of the show last year and her older sister Becky will be the Bachelorettes of 2020. Zara McDonald, what do you think? Um, I'm not going to lie. I was
1: a bit confused when I saw this in my news feed the other morning. Mm-hmm. I was a bit confused because I couldn't quite work out the mechanics of it first and foremost. I have no idea how this is going to work and none of us do, which is really, really interesting. I think my overriding thought was the last time I can remember watching a series of The Bachelorette with two Bachelorettes was a US season where the two Bachelorettes started and on the first night the men voted one of
0: the Bachelorettes off. What an epic season, by the way. If you haven't watched that, it was so good. Caitlin, I think it was Caitlin's season of The Bachelorette. But obviously that's not what they're going for here, right? They're not going to
1: vote one of the sisters off. I think for me the most confusing aspect is I'd never heard of Ellie's sister and it wasn't like... Ellie had been quite public about her relationship with her sister. Like Mm. I was just very confused about where this concept came from because I think if they were famous sisters it would make
0: more sense to me than one that has barely popped up on Ellie's social media. That's the thing right and Ellie was very likable on her season last year. She came out as the fan favourite. I think everyone was pretty devastated when Ellie was sent home. She got into a bit of a drama with Abby Chatfield and then was sent packing basically for bringing drama onto Matt's doorstep. Now I'm not surprised by Ali. I am also surprised, like you though, about the sister being involved. It's not like the Bachelor producers saw these two on screen last season, said these sisters have such great chemistry, let's bend the rules and get them on the show. This kind of feels like it was reverse manufactured. I agree. Where they went, ooh, what could we do to spice it up? Two sisters is a weird fetish that clearly the boardroom at Warner (laughs) Brothers has. Let's grab Ali's sister, Becky, who apparently was in a relationship when she signed onto the show. Well, this is a good point you make.
1: Ed Cavali, yes, I know we're suddenly <coughs> talking about Ed Cavali in this context. The radio host, Ed Cavali, went onto his radio show, which he co-hosts now with Dave Hughes, and said that he
0: knows the guy. I, think? I love that Ed Cavalier and Dave Hughes are the ones <laughs> breaking patch a like gossip. <laughs> like two total dark horses in the batch game. Total dark
1: horses, but now I'm going to be really tuning in for their Bachelor insights. So Ed Cavali got on mic and said, the person that Becky was with found out about it through the press. Amazing. He also said, the long story is that people deep in reality <laughs> TV told him that the, <laughs> that the original plan was to just have Ellie, which kind of backs up your reverse engineered argument. And then they found out this. Sister existed and I thought, why don't we try her? And then apparently, according to Ed Cavali,
0: Becky goes and dumps the guy she sees. I propose a shameless sweepstakes. There's no money involved because I'm not really into gambling anyway. How many episodes will it take before we get the very predictable storyline of, oh no, we both like the same guy? I reckon like two or three. I reckon 15 minutes into episode one. No, you're so right. It's going to be
1: episode (laughs) one. They're they're going to manufacture it, whether it's there or not. That will be manufactured drama in episode one. I have heard very legitimate concerns from Bachelor fans about the optics of this, having two women fighting over the guys in a series where they're actually meant to have the power like isn't it a bit of an odd look that you know that the producers are going to
0: play on a cat fight somehow how strange for the bachelor not to be the beacon of feminist light that we all need can you see this being two guys uh it's a really interesting question i i don't know i think they would have only picked two guys if the two guys were really public and well known yeah. you know those two australian models this is going to be the most obscure zach and, zach and jordan cody oh Zach. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet life of Zach and Cody. Yeah, sure. We can take those two Jordan an and Zach. Jordan and Zach, the two models. God What's knows their what last their last name, name is. I'm going to do a live Google. Anyone, actually, I'm sure. Actually, props to Jordan and Zach for being well-known as famous models that we don't actually know their last name. My Google search term is Jordan and Zach Models Australia. I'll have you know their names are Jordan and Zach Stenmark. Of course they are. The Stenmark twins. Everyone knows <laughs> that. Now, twins like that or brothers like that, I get it. Both really well-followed on Instagram. They've got 190000 followers on their joint brother account so a thing like that I get even the inspired unemployed boys Hamish and Andy if they were both single I get getting a duo of men hold on on. you wanted it to be us here are all these other duos it should have been no I mean they would only do it for guys if the duo was like Um, a pre-existing obvious thing I agree I think with women it's like "Mm, two sisters what a like hot look for us
1: unless the brother was just really secretly hot don't you think we're always into a really hot secret brother So I reckon if a bachelor came out and had his hot secret brother, this would happen. I did want to say though, there was a lot of commentary and rightly so, that this is just another white... Bachelor or Bachelorette, not just one, but it's two. And a lot of people are saying, when are we going to have a person of colour in this really, you know,
0: high profile role? Why wasn't it Brooke Blurton? Oh my God. This is the interesting thing, guys. We have a very credible source who has been involved in the production of this show, who said that Brooke Blurton was told she could be Bachelorette. Eventually. Eventually. But her profile wasn't big enough. And to get a big enough profile to become Bachelorette, she had to go on Bachelor in Paradise. Yes. And then I guess the assumption was
1: from there that her profile would be built – And she could eventually get that role. But our sources also told us she wasn't actually asked Yeah, she was never
0: asked. So Brooke Blurton, an Indigenous woman who is bisexual, openly bisexual, was told, you don't have a big enough profile. When you do, we'll consider you. And yet now we've had Ellie Miles be put in, someone with 50,000 fewer Instagram followers who didn't go on Bachelor in Paradise, and yet she was considered eligible for the role. I just think there has to be a conversation about what the fuck is being spoken about in Warner Brothers' head office, because it seems... To me, that across the 14 seasons we have had so far, including the two this year, which we know will both be white people again, what is happening where only straight white Australians are considered eligible bachelors who are considered desirable? I think there has to be a question, and it's not to Ali and Becky, they can't control who is cast before them, it's not to Lockie Gilbert, who is this year's bachelor, but it is to the people sitting around that boardroom making the same decision year after year after year. Well, I think it's It's an especially important conversation as well at the moment.
1: I started watching Bachelor in Paradise this week, Mish. Actually, that's what I did with my week. I started watching Bachelor in Paradise. And what I found very interesting is Naranga came out after he left Bachelor in Paradise and did say very explicitly that he was the subject of racism on the set from a fellow unnamed contestant. Mm. His storyline around him was this idea that he wasn't particularly dateable or he was kind of everybody's friend and I saw a lot of really smart commentary on Twitter as well in that when we do have these people of colour on you know franchises as famous and well known as The Bachelor they're still not treated in the same way white contestants are.
0: Absolutely and I know that some listeners will be hearing this conversation Play out and will kind of roll their eyes and sigh and say, Why can't we just watch our trashy television and not make everything political? But I do think the bachelor is a cultural phenomenon in Australia. It says a lot about who we as a society deem to be desirable. And I think there has to be questions now. We've seen 14 seasons. We've had one mixed race bachelor. That was Blake Garvey in season two. It's been six years since that happened. And we've seen hardly any diversity since.
1: Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle, Michelle, Elizabeth... Oh no. Terrible meme (laughs) (laughs) Andrews. What have you got for me?
0: My first story. I am sorry. Alan DeGeneres speaks out in letter to staff. That is from news.com.au. Alan DeGeneres Zara has issued a letter to her workplace, everyone who has worked under her for the past few years and has profusely apologised. Do you know why? workplace culture isn't it there's now a report into some people really high up in the television show absolutely so the show particularly the producers involved have been accused of sexual misconduct racist behavior of bullying a whole bunch of really dodgy and concerning stuff It's
1: really uh, interesting. I mean firstly welcome back to the quick and dirty Ellen. I don't think she can (laughs) escape this place. It's been a bad year in the quick and dirty for Ellen DeGeneres. It's not been good but I'm also not surprised. Mm. Like yes they say the fish rots from the top and if the workplace culture is bad then usually the, like we said last week, it's usually coming from the top but also the people directly underneath her because they're the people that she's hiring. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't shocked at all that there was kind of an investigation happening. I was pretty shocked with the severity of some of the allegations though.
0: Yeah absolutely. So Buzz did publish a bombshell report where they collated the stories from 10 former and current Ellen employees it was described to be a toxic work environment with a culture of racism fear and intimidation one employee was quoted saying that be kind bullshit only happens when the cameras are on it's all for show I think it's pretty damning I mean the juxtaposition between this very happy-go-lucky silly frivolous show and the public persona that Ellen tries to put out that she is always happy always on always glittering and charming I find that to be really unusual when you then consider all this stuff that seems to happen when the cameras aren't rolling
1: there was one employee who said that Ellen almost definitely knew what was going on but then other former workers say that she was insulated from the worst stuff what do you believe because I think it's more likely that it was the latter right I don't know. That's not in me protecting her. I think that's me kind of making sense with how these workplaces fester like this for so long is because a lot of people are insulated from the really bad stuff.
0: Yeah, see, I don't know. I think regardless, she can't really get away with it God, and there's no. no excuse either way. There are reports as well. A Today Show, uh, an ex-Today Show producer actually came out this week and said that his experience with Alan in 2013 when she came to Australia and was interviewed by Richard Wilkins was a really baffling and cold one. So, Sometimes I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And I absolutely think Ellen DeGeneres has a lot of personal growth to do. My second story, Bachelor in Paradise star Jamie Doran hires the lawyer who helped Nasa Sultan sue a newspaper for defamation as he prepares for a court showdown with Channel 10. That is from the Daily Mail. Of course it is because it was about a paragraph, just the title. (laughs) Now, Zara, what do we think? Did you watch much of Jamie on Bachelor in Paradise? I did watch a
1: bit of Jamie this week. And it's obvious to me, I mean, we've had this conversation on mic before, Mish, about how hard it is sometimes watching these television shows, particularly when you work in audio, really, really deeply in audio, because you can hear how much people's words are chopped together. And it's a pretty alarming thing to hear. I'm really reticent to point the finger at a certain person on one of these shows and accuse them of saying what. They are allegedly saying on the show mm. because you just know how much it's edited. Mm. So I did feel for Jamie when he started getting that really horrendous edit again, particularly this week. The edit wasn't good. So he released a statement on Instagram, didn't he? Saying, hey guys, I'm sad to have to announce this, but I'm pursuing legal action against Channel 10. Channel 10 came back and kind of didn't really take the claim seriously, saying yeah. that he hadn't actually started. What's clearly happened now is he actually has got in contact with a lawyer, the same lawyer who won a case for NASA assault. Sultan settled for an undisclosed sum against the Daily Telegraph. So there could be really a case to build here.
0: Yeah, and if you're hearing that name, NASA Sultan, and you can't quite place it to a face, he was on Married at First Sight a couple of years ago and was kind of the villain on that show. I find this conversation a really interesting one. I know we touched on this last year when we spoke about Bachelor in Paradise, but if you're a new listener who hasn't gone back that far into the episode archive, Zara and I used to watch episodes of Batch in Paradise for an old job we had um, in digital media. We used to do like recaps of the show and we used to actually be given pre-edited cuts. So we used to get cuts that had very little colour saturation added to it. In fact, none, it looked basically grey in Fiji <laughs> at this time of year, but also very little music editing very minimal, I guess, audio editing. And we cannot stress to you enough how much creative license is taken In these shows being put to air. Like the number of words that seem to be stitched together to create entirely new sentences is so alarming. And the more we've gotten involved in audio production, the more we've been involved in podcasting, it is so difficult for me to watch that show now because I can hear word by word being stitched together in almost every second or third sentence.
1: Exactly. So I think it's something, and I know we've spoken about it before, but I think it's something that's really important to remind listeners of when they're watching shows like this because, yes, Jamie Doran says things and does things that make you kind of raise an eyebrow when you're watching the show but you have no idea
0: what's going on in order to get him to say or do the things he is so if he wants to pursue legal action good luck to him. I'm actually cheering him on I hope he's successful because I don't think the treatment of him is justified and I I feel like he's vulnerable in some way or another and we need to be cognizant of that. My third story the Today Show cops backlash for inviting anti-masker on air that is from SBS The Feed. You are rolling your eyes already before you've even said a word. Why are you rolling your eyes? Well, I'm rolling my eyes because most of the headlines that came before
1: this SBS one were the Today Show brilliantly slaps down or smacks down or ends interview with anti-masker as if they're the heroes in this story when they brought the
0: anti-masker on air in the first place. Mm, This was an interesting one. So if you missed it, Carl Stefanovic and Alison Langdon, the hosts of the Today Show, interviewed live on air one morning last week the woman who refused to wear masks in public. Now, halfway through the interview, they kind of threw out these questions like, what medical degree do you have? And what relevant qualifications do you have under your belt to kind of talk about this stuff? The woman clearly has none and nobody was ever under the impression that she had any. So it was a weird question. And then the interview was cut halfway through. Because they're like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about
1: this then. And it's like, really? Are we really that surprised? Why did you have her on in the first place
0: if you're just going to end the interview? Yeah. Well, there's all a play for clicks and drama, right? Like... You guys aren't going to get a pat on the back for doing something that never should have been introduced yeah. to your show in the first place. Hear, here. My fourth story, rapper deleted from Facebook and Instagram after anti-Semitic tirade. Zara, that is from BBC and it is talking about the rapper Wiley.
1: Yeah, so this isn't the freshest story. This story broke a couple of hours after we recorded last week, Mish, but it is something we felt was really important to talk about this week because it was a pretty horrendous tirade to read, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. And if you aren't familiar with Wiley, don't worry. I wasn't familiar with Wiley even a couple of weeks ago until this tirade kind of made the mainstream media. So Wiley is 41 years old. His real name is Richard Kylia Cowie Jr. He is often cited as the godfather of grime and the king of grime rap. So his tweets are an absolute tsunami of them. But one of the ones that really stuck out to me was this tweet. There are two sets of people who nobody has really wanted to challenge, Jewish and KKK. Rednecks and the KKK and Jewish people are the law. Work that out. Goes without saying, Zara, it's absolutely disgusting and awful to read anyone say this about Jewish people.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people are going around saying, oh, we won't bother... Reading them out, we won't bother drawing attention to them. But I also think while we're not going to read his entire set of tweets out because they're disgusting, I think it's worth putting words to what's been said and and to kind of make public how disgusting this stuff is, because I don't think it's worth sweeping it under the rug. I saw a couple of interesting uh, comments around this week the first was um, in the piece for the conversation where there's a lot of smart and thoughtful and important commentary going around about how anti-Semitism seems to rise in times of economic downturn mm. or when the world kind of finds itself in disarray. And I think other points that are really salient points to hear and talk about are, is the idea that anti-Semitism, there's something about anti-Semitism where people seem to not take it as seriously as a form of racism. It yeah. might appear as a softer form of racism, but this is just as bad as any other racism we've seen in the last sort of six months. And I think it's important to call it out just as that.
0: Yeah, and it's also really complicated, I think, for anyone who is both black and Jewish. You would assume that someone like Wiley, who has been very vocal about what it's like to experience racism as a black man, would have more compassion for another group of people who has been historically marginalised. I do want to read out one quote that I read in the conversation this week, Zara. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. This was by Brian Shayette. He's a professor of modern literature and culture at the University of Reading. He wrote, The reason we should all care about Hitler is that anti-racism is indivisible. Wiley's rant demonstrates that focusing on only one history of oppression at the expense of another counts for nothing. And I think that nails it, particularly for anyone listening to this who might be both black and Jewish. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think it, it's hard not to feel kind of helpless when you hear stories like this and you wonder, okay, well, what can I do? There is a campaign going around that has been going around for months, Mish. It's been quite a widely shared petition, and it is called Stop Hate for Profit, which is urging individuals to sign a petition to send a message to Facebook to tell them that they will never stand by a social media platform that is supporting hate or racism or misinformation. So there's always petitions like that that people can sign. I know that doesn't extend to the Twitters and the Instagrams of the world. But I think the more pressure we put on social media platforms to call this stuff out and to suspend the accounts very, very quickly of individuals who want to spread this hate, the better.
0: Yeah. And freedom of speech is one thing, but freedom of hate speech is another. And I'm really glad that Facebook and Instagram did delete his profiles and his accounts. One positive element as well to come out of this Zara is many people are not standing by Wiley. His team has actually kind of deserted him in this time, which he absolutely deserves. His management dropped him and his former record label, Big Data Records, actually tweeted out this on the 26th of July. We released records by Wiley between 2007 and 2014. We fully condemn Wiley's comments and royalties from those records will now be donated to campaigns that fight anti-Semitism. I think that is a great pledge and I think that is a really brilliant way to turn something that's gross and awful and a bit yuck into something that's hopeful and actually does a little bit of good. Absolutely. My fifth and final story for today's Quick and Dirty, Delta, doll, why the fuck did you agree to go on Sky News with Alan Jones? That is from Pedestrian TV.
1: I know Pedestrian are usually pretty good at the headlines, but that's got to be one of my favourites of the last few months.
0: I love Pedestrian TV. I feel like I've been reading their publication for eight or nine years now and it's still relevant.
1: That's a good point. So yes, the headline is right. Delta Goodrum did go on Alan Jones, but not to talk politics. She went on there to perform her newest song. What
0: the fuck is going on? I want to read a little passage from this article. It was really funny. It was written by Matt Galea. Sorry, Matt, if that's Galea. I'm not actually quite sure. He wrote, Welp, Delta Goodrum has stepped in dog shit. And by stepped, I mean made an appearance. And by dog shit, I mean Sky News. (laughs) Releasing a track called Paralysed has seemingly paralysed her decent morals and common sense as she agreed to appear on the same network that gives a platform to neo-Nazi Blair Cottrell, the clownery of Pauline Wilson and crock kisser Bob Catter. Such an odd decision. Why is Delta Gudrun trying to appeal to a Sky News demo? Maybe the tune's just a real bop and she thinks they're going to go for it. It makes no (laughs) sense to me. I just don't get it like why and the way she announced it was weird she went on twitter and wrote i'll be catching up with alan jones on sky news Ost tonight tune in from 8:40 p.m aest like why i just want to know who's in delta goodrum's pr team because she doesn't seem to be the kind of musician who neatly aligns with old mate alan jones yeah it's a real weird one who knows who knows people might be buying the truck afterwards mm, that is all for today's quick and dirty thanks so much Coming up after the break, does a black and white selfie really support other women? Plus, the hashtag KLOR rumor that we are becoming semi obsessed with. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, you probably noticed a long trail of black and white selfies in your Instagram feed, all with the hashtag Women Supporting Women. Well, that's what people are calling the Challenge Accepted movement, which has seen more than 6 million people post photos of themselves, ostensibly as a way to show love and support for other women. Here's how it works. A woman who's been nominated posts a black and white pic of herself, then nominates women in her life that she admires to do the same. Zara, this is a very controversial movement this week. Take me back to the moment that you discovered it. So I was
1: lying in bed and I was kind of scrolling through my Instagram feed. And I, I... was lying in bed one night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one cold Melbourne night. Everyone can
1: get that image out of their head. <laughs> anyway, I was lying in bed and I was lying on my phone. Lying on my phone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was sitting on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know when you're actually that's actually quite a funny phrase when you say sitting, you're sitting on your, on your phone. phone. I was lying down and I was scrolling on Instagram. <laughs> and I saw a very high profile Australian celebrity do it. And I just saw a photo of themselves and then I saw the hashtag women supporting women. Did it begin with a B and end with an ekjud It did. <laughs> <laughs> it was Beck Juds. Beck Juts was the first one I saw. And I was like, I, I sent it to you and I said, What have I missed here? Yeah. I don't understand what this movement clearly is because then I started looking at the profiles that she had tagged of people that had nominated her mm. and they had done the same and I, I'm i not gonna lie I was incredibly confused as to how this was a movement that was supporting women.
0: Yeah and she wasn't the only celebrity oh, to do this. No. This was massive in the US as well as Australia. So the likes of Jennifer Aniston, Charlize Theron, Kerry Washington, Paris Hilton, Cindy Crawford, Khloe Kardashian, Jennifer Garner and old mate Ivanka Trump all got behind this yeah so
1: a lot of as you said six million women uploaded a photo in the last kind of week or so with this hashtag and I think when it comes to this story we should acknowledge that there are quite a few layers to this story and I think that's why it's been one of the most interesting stories I've kind of been consuming in the last month or so. It's the babushka doll of celebrity news stories. <laughs> the babushka doll of celebrity news stories. I think the first layer to this is a conversation to be had about how the origin and the meaning of the challenge got lost as it got bigger, which relates very much to femicide in Turkey. The second conversation is whether I think a hashtag women supporting women challenge has much benefit in the form we saw it come to life, which was just solo black and white photos. And I think the third conversation to be had is whether that even mattered in the end because we are still talking about femicide in Turkey at our end point. I think what we should start with, Mish, is how the meaning of the challenge may have got lost.
0: Absolutely. So there are three prominent theories about how hashtag challenge accepted and hashtag women supporting women came to life. One theory is that this has been going on since 2016. This came about after Donald Trump was voted in as the American president and was kickstarted again last week when one brazilian journalist started tweeting about it and started sharing it again that's one theory the second theory is that this movement was generated by the women of turkey where it's reported 474 women were murdered in their country last year mostly by romantic partners and relatives so the original turkish hashtags referencing that femicide epidemic were mostly dropped off when it started being westernized and coming into america and australia so The quote in The Guardian by Fatima Butto really explored this well. She wrote, black and white photos of murdered women are splashed across Turkish newspapers, televisions, and social media on a daily basis. It is alleged that the women of Turkey were called on to post black and white selfies to stand in solidarity with the women that we have lost, to show that one day it could be their picture that is plastered across news outlets with a black and white filter on top. So that's theory one. Theory two. The third theory is that this became popular in America after, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called out misogyny from her Republican colleague Ted Yoho and it kind of generated from there. We're not really clear yet on what theory is correct. I don't think it'll ever be clear. No
1: it's really really unclear and I think that's what's most interesting about this is it's seemingly almost impossible to work out exactly where this originated from and I think for you and I if we're not going to be able to nut down exactly where the challenge did originate from I still want to have a conversation with you about how we as Australian women experience the challenge at face value, like the idea that Women were asked to upload a selfie of themselves and then nominate ten or twenty other women privately to shout mm. them out to do the same. What was your gut feeling then? If we're just talking about that idea as an empowerment challenge,
0: I felt really confuddled by it. I don't think confuddled an, like, is that a word. <laughs> like confused and befuddled. I don't know. Is that a legit word? I felt confuddled. I just I didn't quite understand how all the dots were connecting. How a photo of yourself actually aids other women, but. That was a really emotional reaction. And the more I've thought about it in the days since, the more I can absolutely see why it was a thing. What was your gut reaction?
1: Yeah, mine was quite similar. And I guess the first thing I want to say is like, God, this is not personal. Like for anyone who posted, six million women posted and they were all very different kinds of women, to be honest, lots of different women posted. And I think it's not about the individuals that posted, but for me, I was really intrigued by the kind of bandwagonism that happened again on Instagram or the slacktivism, some people call it, or even the hashtagavism or what I'd actually think I just... <laughs> Butchered that last one. Instagramivism. I was more intrigued by that concept, the yeah. the ability for a trend to take off really, really quickly. For me, my main overriding thought was: I was kind of like, if we're hashtagging women supporting women, but we're uploading photos of myself, I'm just not sure what the impact is and what good it does. Like I want to be able to measure, dare I say, I want to be able to see what success looks like or dare I say I want to measure what success looks like
0: with a challenge like this one. I want a smart goal, needs to be measurable, needs to be reasonable, <laughs> achievable. I get what you mean. I think what my mind shift has looked like in the last few days is on the day that this took off, my gut and my brain were saying, who does this help outside of the woman sharing the photo? Who does it help in society? What is it doing for the greater good? My thoughts now is it doesn't have to help out any woman outside of the person on her phone sharing it. There has to be so much work done internally for women to accept ourselves, to feel confident in ourselves, to feel supported. And if a woman's sharing a photo of herself and feeling like she is supported by a circle of friends or a network around her, that's not doing any harm to me. Like no one is being harmed by this movement. If individual women are sitting behind their phones and saying, I feel empowered, Knowing that someone else sees good in me, knowing that someone else backs me, I feel empowered to share this photo of myself. Who am I to sit back and go, mm, that's not really feminist, <laughs> or that's not really helping
1: anyone because it's helping her? Yeah, you're absolutely right. If the person posting is saying, I feel good about this and I feel better about the world after doing this, I absolutely agree with you. Who are we to say that they, someone can't feel the way that they want to feel? The one thought I did have was, I guess I just worried about how surfacey our conversations about women supporting women often for R and I wondered if we're encouraging stuff like this or making this our kind of focal point of the women supporting women movement I fear that we mistake women supporting women for a top line thought bubble on Instagram rather than like the legitimate unpacking of internalized misogyny and what lifting mm. women up in reality actually looks like because I really am of the opinion that In the patriarchal structure that we live and we work in, lifting women up isn't actually that easy. And that's a really hard thing to admit, but I don't think that we should ever feel shame about that or embarrassment for admitting that sometimes it might not feel comfortable because we've been always raised to do the opposite. Like we've been told for decades that women are our competition. It's not easy to rewire those gut feelings. And if we are wired to see women as our competition, then lifting them up around us should feel like we are actually stepping aside and giving them some of our space too. Mm. Like women supporting women isn't as easy as just posting something on Instagram. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and I guess that's a conversation I wanted to have too.
0: I totally get that. I guess my overriding thought with that is well why can't there be both? Like this movement isn't stopping those tough conversations or that internal excavation from happening. But sometimes I think some people it's kind of a resting on laurels thing. Mm, I get you. I get like it's like a fuzzy alternative that kind of cushions people from the hard work. I've done my job. Yeah, absolutely. I get that. I think I see this very differently based on who is the woman posting. I think if you're a celebrity or a public figure you already have built a job off the adoration of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people. You don't need someone jumping into your inbox and DMing you and telling you that you're doing a good job because your career is built off that as a public figure. So I viewed that very differently. I think if you're a celebrity or public figure and you wanted to display that you are supporting other women, why wouldn't you share black and white photos of women in your life who might not have the platform that you have and telling everyone what they do and kind of giving them a pat on the back publicly? If you were just the average woman, though, we know that 6 million women shared this. 99.99999% were probably teachers and nurses and retail workers and the average typical woman. Her sharing herself, she's probably not being recognised. She's probably going to work day in, day out busting her gut to just get through. I am so fine with her posting a black and white photo of herself where she feels good. I think it's a very different expectation that I have of women who are very rich, very privileged and already very adored (laughs) sharing another selfie of themselves and the average woman. I completely agree with you. I do completely agree with you. I also think there, there
1: are some other really valid arguments around that I've been thinking about in the last week or so. One is about the fact that when you said this does no harm, I agree that largely it does very little harm, but I'm interested in the women who didn't get that tap on the back, who didn't get that message saying you're doing a really good job. And Mm. I wonder if it felt more like an exclusive challenge rather than inclusive. That's an open-ended question that I actually don't know the answer to. The other is exactly as you say, that when you have high profile women taking part in this challenge, but posting very glossy professionally taken photos that are Probably very usually photoshopped. Is it the same thing as your average woman just uploading a photo being proud of themselves? I just, I don't consider them in the same camps. But I did want to give a massive shout out to Australian TV presenter Abby Waymish, who posted. Uh, for this challenge but she posted about her friend Emma Vosti and she posted a photo of the two of them it was a really lovely photo from behind where they had their arms around each other and Abby wrote not usually big on chain posts but hashtag women supporting women is so important Emma Vosti lives this mantra every day Emma is selfless kind and the ultimate cheerleader for those around her in our stupidly competitive industry Emma taught me there is room for everyone and welcomed me with open arms I'm very lucky to have her and the other women who have supported me in my life I think for two women who are in an incredibly competitive industry, Mm -hmm. and I can't think of almost a more competitive industry for women than the TV presenting one, to see them both clearly very supportive of each other was a real highlight of my day because I think it says so much about Abby and I think it says so much about Emma for them to have such a close bond and to be public about how good that bond is. To me, that is the definition of women supporting women. And also to me, that's the definition of empowering someone
0: else. Absolutely. I think originally this seemed like a very white, very glossy trend, but Fatima Budo, who I actually quoted at the beginning of this segment, she actually wrote that gradually this became more inclusive of all kinds of women as it went on. She wrote, as the number of people, increases, I quote, thousands of Indigenous Australian women, black women, women of colour, trans women, non-binary women and other LGBTIQ women around the world are taking part. And that's the point. If women are feeling seen and recognised by this, who am I to tell them that they're wrong? Yeah,
1: I agree with that. And I think the other upside is that if this was a completely non-linear and kind of messy path to having a conversation about femicide in Turkey, whether or not that was the origin of this challenge then is any of it really a bad thing if this is where we've ended up? I don't really think so. I mean, my entire feed for the last few days has been women wanting to have conversations about femicide in Turkey. So I think the end result is quite positive.
0: Yeah, the path was convoluted, but we got there.
1: Have you heard the long-held rumour that Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss used to date? Yep, that rumour goes back to 2014 and according to a lot of people, the duo weren't just besties but actually dating. So why are we talking about this now? Well, as we all know, Taylor Swift just released her new album, Folklore, and with its release came a bunch of reignited rumours that some of the songs were about her rumoured relationship with Kloss. Do I believe any of it? I think you'll quickly come to realise that no, I don't at all. (laughs) You should! (laughs) But do I want to unpack the many, many rumours about two of the most famous women in the world? You bet I do. Mish, I know you're the same. I am the same.
0: And boy, oh boy. Do I believe this rumour? I am so on board and championing this rumour. I love it so much and I so dearly want it to be true. So excuse me if I'm a little bit biased. Yeah, I desperately hope it's true. I just accidentally looked at the facts and
1: decided it's not. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. No, I'm not fine. Breathe, sister. I did want to quickly say, so this started, as I just said, when Taylor released her new album, folklore. And shortly after Taylor released her album and uploaded a photo on Instagram in a forest, (laughs) people saw that Carly Kloss had also posted a photo of herself in the woods hugging a tree. Happy place. Hugging a tree. And suddenly everything (laughs) blows up. So that should just give you a snapshot on how stupid this rumor is.
0: First of all, I don't like your framework that you're operating in. Open your mind just a little bit, my one-dimensional friend. Let's go through the timeline of Kayla. So, Kaylaw, by the way, yeah. not Kayla. So, these two met in 2012. By 2014, they were firm, firm friends, like best friends in the entire world. Carly and Taylor were going on road trips together, which they documented in Instagram photos. They were writing messages in sand. There was one message on Carly Kloss' Instagram that says, Carly loves Taylor, written into the sand on the beach. By April of that year, 2014, they were going everywhere together, including to the Met Gala. By September 2014, for her Rolling Stone cover story, Taylor Swift gave the reporter a tour of her home in... Including Carly's bedroom, quote, this is where Carly usually stays. Photos of Carly Kloss were up on the wall of Taylor Swift's mansion. And in December of that year, a few months later after that Rolling Stone cover story, TMZ or TMZ published a blurry photo of them kissing at the 1975 concert. I know you're about to jump in, but they were kissing. No, they weren't. They I were kissing. If you've watched the
1: footage, the thing about
0: the Carly and Taylor's story which I find really
1: the most intriguing is to me this is so obviously one of the most overexcited fresh female friendships that you can see a blueprint of <sighs> and I think the quotes really speak to this so you're absolutely right they met properly in 2013 at the Victoria's Secret fashion show and only a few months later in 2014 were already going on a road trip together I find this 2015 interview with Taylor Swift really interesting because she told Vogue We'd never met before, but we're BFFs now. And then later said, and we were just like, you, my friend, now. And it I just feels like such like a, a young, immature, very intense, fresh female friendship. You know the type. Of Seven, course I know yeah. the type. So you know the type. Then they're going on road trips together. Then they're like, oh my God, this is Carly's room. You know what it reminds me of, Zara McDonald. A fresh relationship. No, it's not. Because the thing about Carly and Taylor is if they were really dating and if they want it to be that secretive, which obviously apparently according to all these sleuths, they did (laughs) want to keep it a secret, they would have been more subtle than all of this outlandish friendship stuff that was out there. Mm. Like
0: you're not going to be writing love hearts saying Carly loves Taylor. Like the facts don't align for me. I would genuinely love all the listeners listening to this right now, pop it into Google, search for Carly and Taylor TMZ 2014 1975 concert and tell me they're not kissing in that photo. I don't think they are. They've got their arms around each other and they're holding each other's hands but I
1: really genuinely believe this was a very intense friendship which makes a friendship break up all the more dramatic which Mm. uh, we're going to get to in a sec. But I think they were probably just a bit tipsy and kind of like rolling into each other's arms. I can't promise that I'm not like that with my female friends when I'm out at a bar. When I was younger particularly even and I'm actually not the most uh, <laughs> affectionate person in the world so maybe I'm not the best example but I know plenty of females who have that really intense physical
0: affection with their girlfriends for sure all right you can twist it whatever way you want they're kissing in the photo how many Friends do you have where they've got a room in your house? I mean, you don't exactly have a She actually didn't say
1: this is her room. She said this is my guest room where Carly often stays. So, I mean, God, it seems unlike these Taylor Swift sleuths to twist the facts. I also wanted to paint you a picture of how flimsy some of the evidence is, right? I was deep on Reddit. One of the most popular posts on Reddit about this was this big deep dive. And the person who wrote this deep dive, Mish, I want to read you one of their key pieces of evidence. Okay. I then began sifting through both Taylor and Carly's Instagrams and the birthday wishes they post to each other are much more lovey-dovey than a birthday wish I would ever give to a friend. This checks out. Examples. (laughs) T-Swift to Carly. Some of my best memories have been with this girl laughing in the kitchen. Happy birthday to the ray of light that is Carly Kloss. (laughs) Carly to Taylor Swift. Happy 26th birthday to my cookie-baking, road-tripping partner in crime. Looking forward to a lifetime of adventures ahead together. A lifetime of
0: adventures together.
1: together. This Redditor wrote, Sure, it's nothing major but something about it feels really odd to me. It's all in the details and reading between the lines. (laughs) In my opinion, Carly is showing her ownership over Taylor Swift in a sense – my cookie baking partner think about it surely if you were just saying this to a friend you would say happy birthday to this cookie baking i'm gonna go back through because i occasionally do a birthday shout out to a friend and i bet you i use my in all of them while you do that i can just tell the listeners that apparently these two first one i can find happy birthday to my sister well, was that to your sister? No. <laughs> Another one. Fuck, I call all my friends my sisters. A
0: big cheers to my sister on her birthday. Do you have something to tell us about a lesbian relationship? Not between with either you and of my friends? two best friends. <laughs> I do want to talk about this legitimately though, because it's not just a couple of Taylor Swift fans sitting around thinking that Taylor Swift's new album, folklore, is a queer album or an album that at the very least explores same-sex relationships. The LGBTIQ plus community is going like absolutely wild over this. They are convinced. And one quote I really, really enjoyed was actually from Rebecca Shaw in Junkie this week. She wrote, as a queer person, I fully get the urge to read into subtext and clues to try and ascribe queerness to entertainment. A lot of the time, subtext and queer reading of content is all we have. I can understand why it is exciting, especially for young queer fans of Taylor, to imagine a world in which she is queer, and in which she is singing queer songs. If you ask me, even if it's not explicit intent from Taylor, the intent entire album has strong queer vibes and you can claim it if you see it. I like that. I think that's a beautiful quote and it's probably true, but what's to say it's Carly Closs? The
1: evidence is still quite flimsy. <laughs> the kiss is not flimsy. If I'm going back to folklore facts that people are pulling out, some people said that because in American Dynasty, Taylor Swift mentions St. Louis, which any good Carly Closs fan will know that Carly Closs is from St. Louis, that means it's about Carly Closs. The other thing is that she also mentions ballet and Closs is a trailer. (laughs) ballet dancer this reminds me case closed but our conclusion have you seen almost every friends episode yes okay do you remember the episode where phoebe meets her birth mum and they're kind of asking it they're trying to work out if they've got stuff in common and phoebe goes to her birth mum do you like pizza? And her mom's like, I love pizza. And then she's like, do you like dogs? And Phoebe's like, I love dogs. And they're like, oh my God, it must be true. And it's like, that's like this. You're pointing it to the most like random things and pulling them together and creating connections based off it.
0: Look, you can say whatever you want. If you want to do a deep dive, the subtext behind dozens of Taylor Swift songs like Dress, which was written in 2018, or Betty, which is on the new album, seem to have a very strong queer vibe to them. I think it's worth listening to the queer community They know far, far more about this than I do. And it seems that apparently, this is a quote from one article in Vox, it has a strong witchy queer cottagecore vibe and all of the ingredients for a steaming hot brew of queer subtext. That was a line
1: that was way too cool for you to read out. Look, I don't think they're together, but this is a story that I would so happily be proven wrong on. Mm. I just don't find the evidence stacking up for me.
0: I think it's all because, Zara, we just read Red, White and Royal Blue for our Shameless Book Club. And that details a... uh, uh, same-sex relationship between two celebrities so yeah that must be it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to
0: be a thing that would so be the best I. couple so do i but we need a critical eye here team we need a critical eye hey i think that's all we've got time for though that is thank you so much for listening to this episode of shameless we are so glad and grateful to have all of your support if you are interested in the book club that we just mentioned, we did, of course, drop our episode on Saturday for our July book, Red, White and Royal Blue. Next month's book has also been announced. We are doing The Yield* by Tara June Winch. We are so excited to dive into that. If you want to pick it up, we will put a link to buy that book in our show notes. Zara McDonald, is there anything else? No, I just started scrolling Instagram, so I'm tapping out for the day. You've tapped out. Bye, guys. Have a great Monday, Tuesday, whenever you're listening to this episode. See ya. Bye.